Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune, back with a returning guest to the channel. I think he's been one of my guests, or my, my viewers' favorite guests uh, in the past. Steve San Angelo from his website and YouTube channel, the SRSRockReport.com. Steve, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing very good, Matt. Uh, we've had a crazy market today, and we've got a lot to talk about, so I'm glad to have this conversation with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to kind of give my viewers a quick preview of, of what, we'll be going over, what we'll be going over, uh, you know, we will be starting off with, with precious metals, because I know that's uh, an interest of both of ours and, and most of my viewers. But I also want to get, get into a conversation about the, uh, the energy sector as well as the, the oil market. Obviously, there's been a ton of price action over the last uh, month or two in oil a uh, major move down and i know that's a big passion of yours you're, you're a, you see some major red flags in the uh, energy sector here in the united states particularly the shale oil uh, shale oil sector so we get into that as well but i want to start off with metals steve um you know for a while now silver and gold have been in a bit of a funk uh started back during the summer june july we saw them drop uh, out of their trading range between 16 and 17 dollars into the 15 dollar range uh, and then more recently into the $14 range. It's kind of been stuck there since. Um, how much longer do you see this going on for? Uh, is this something you see playing out, uh, you know, lower prices or, or sideways trading over the next six months, 12 months? Or, you know, not to sound too much like a, a broken record, is this something that looks like it's kind of right around the corner, uh, a move up in metals? And, and what type of factors are kind of deciding that uh, from your point of view? Well, Matt, the, the market today with the precious metals is much different than it was back in 2008 when everything was falling. Uh, energy prices were falling. Oil fell from 145 a barrel down to 30 in a very short period of time. The stock market collapsed like 60, 70 percent in a matter of a year and a half. And gold and silver fell. I think silver fell more than 50 percent. It was $20. It fell down to $9 range. What we have today is a much different setup. Even though the Dow Jones is off its high, it's still close to its high. It's trading at 25,500. The high was 27,000. Gold and silver are trading at their lows. So what we've seen over the last, let's say, five, six years is a kind of a disconnect, especially since 2012, 2013. All the inflation has moved into stocks, bonds, and real estate. And gold and silver have kind of been forgotten. So I think when the markets really start to crash, and we've seen uh, a few a big uh, down days in the Dow Jones, where gold and silver shot up, they didn't go down with the with the markets. So I think when the markets really start to fall apart, probably starting uh, in 2019, um, we'll see the metals actually go the opposite direction, they'll start going up. But we need to see fear. Fear is when investors, retail investors, hedge funds start to buy the metals, the gold and silver, and we're not there yet. 
Yeah, I think that's an important thing to understand for our viewers. Uh, we we're having a conversation, you know, off air before we got started here about the importance of investment demand, both paper demand by by hedge funds, technical funds, etc., as well as physical demand by, you know, stackers or or, or uh, individuals in the country of India buying buying, you know, uh, necklaces or jewelry or whatever it is. You know, investment demand, things along those lines. Um, are, are what moves the market in a way, uh, makes helps it make big moves in the market. And, and that's something we'll be talking about here in a second. But, you know, I know a lot of my viewers, my subscribers are silver stackers. They own, they buy silver on a regular basis. And so, you know, the current price, many of them that are still stacking, they see it as a deal. They see this as a steal, silver in the $14 range. But I know that a lot of them also uh, want to know, or at least have some idea of, how much longer can they expect this? Uh, and, and would they have the opportunity to buy silver at $8 or $10 an ounce like so many people suggest? Uh, I know you and I both kind of agree that uh, a major drop off in the price of silver to something like that would, would be pretty unlikely and certainly not something that would be long lived. Um, but you know, something that you write about recently is, is a floor in the price of metals markets, both silver and gold. Uh, could you expand a little bit more on what that floor is right now? Well, what has driven the price of silver and gold since the 1900s has been the oil price. And I've got two charts showing how the oil, uh, the oil price spiking in, especially in the 1970s and then in 2000. Uh, also, you see the same thing with gold and silver. They spiked during those periods. And so we have to look at oil. And now why is that? Because like homestake, homestake mining, which was the largest U.S. gold mine in the 70s, uh, they were producing gold at like they were producing gold and they were losing money a little bit in 1971 when the price of uh, gold was a little bit less than uh, $42 an ounce. By 1979, the price of gold had shot up. And but homestake mining, their cost of production had ju jumped six times. So what's interesting is the market price. People think the market price of gold was by demand. Well, uh, 80 to 85 percent of that reason was because the cost to produce gold had skyrocketed due to the energy price. So right now we're seeing the same kind of thing. Uh, silver is trading in the 14 range, but the primary silver miners, most of them now are not making money. So uh, now the oil price has fallen in the last month, and that does help. But I don't see the silver price falling to 10 or 8 or $7. I'm not saying we couldn't see a spike lower. I always look at the average annual price. Spike lowers that go down for maybe a month and then shoot back up, that's not something I'm concerned about. But if if there was a possibility that silver went to 10 and it stayed down there for a long time, it, it would destroy the primary silver mining industry. Because even though if the oil price fell, continue to fall, the, the, it can't fall enough where the miners can make money at $10 uh, an ounce. So I do believe that there is a floor in the gold price and there is a floor in the silver price, even though we could see a spike lower. Again, Gold and silver, we're waiting uh, for the markets to start rolling over because I think that's when we're going to see the, the, the most different market we've ever seen before. We're going to see demand for gold and silver where m the demand for most other assets are going to be falling. So 
The best way I can describe that is I think 2019 will we'll start seeing this disconnect as the metals start moving higher when the broader markets start uh, rolling over. Yeah, you know, we actually got a bit of a taste of that back in October. There were a couple of days there. I think it was October where we had uh, the markets down markedly, a uh, pretty significant drop. Uh, and you actually had the dollar move up, but also metals moved up now. That, that, that was just, you know, a couple of days. And, and I think some people kind of, we're, we're making a big deal out of it, maybe a bigger deal than they should have. Um, but, you know, that that could be a, a t you know, similar scenario, maybe not necessarily with the dollar, but where you see other markets drop and, and metals move up. Now, we did just finish talking because I know inevitably people will be asking this, viewers will be asking this. We just finished talking about how uh, the cost of production is so important for the price of silver, for the price of gold. Um, however, we're also saying that yeah oil is pretty low right now and yet silver and gold are going to be heading much much higher in the future and so how do you uh, i guess uh make those two ideas agree that that the cost of production is so important and yet the price in the future is going to move far far above the cost of production great question uh let me start off by saying like harry dent He's famous for saying gold is going to be going to 750. Well, he said it a year or so ago, and his forecast turned out to be wrong. Because if you look at a bubble chart, if you look at gold and silver, they kind of were a bubble. They, they shot up, and then they came down, and they've been going down. So to continue that sell-off of the bubble, Dent saw gold shooting down to uh, 750 and then to 400. The problem is in 2004, when gold was trading at $400 an ounce, the cost of production for Barrick and Newmont, and these are the two biggest gold miners in the world, their cost of production was 366. So they're making a little bit of money if this if the gold price was trading around 400. Now the oil price back then was 41 dollars. All right, now in 2016 the oil price fell to an average of 43 dollars. That's how far it, it was trading at 110 back in 2000, uh, you know, 11, 12, and 13, and then it fell in 2016 to an average of 43, two dollars more than it was in 2004. Do you know the 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 uh, break even for Barrick and Newmont was only 11 it was 1123 dollars. So even though the oil price collapsed from 110 in 2014 to, to $43 in 2016, the, the cost to produce gold didn't fall back to what they were in 2004. Why? Because there, the ore grades have been uh, falling considerably. They got to move more ore. Same thing with the silver mining industry. And this falling energy return on investment is just, it's, it's, it's thundering throughout the whole the supply chain. Everything just costs more. So we're, we're not going to see, even if the price of oil went to $20, the gold miners are never going to be able to produce silver or gold at $500, $600, $700 an ounce, unless 70, 80%, 90% of gold production disappears. Then there's a handful of miners that could maybe produce it at that price. So this is the reason why this cost of production is, is the floor. Now, in the future, uh, this is very important. Oil has been the driver of the economy and the driver of the gold and silver price, as well as the product cost of most things that we use in the world and consume. But when oil production starts to really fall, then all the assets that have all these debts attached to them, they start to implode. So at that point in time, 
investors are going to start to protect their wealth, they preserve their wealth. They can't do it in real estate. They can't do it in stocks. So you have to go into gold and silver. Now, it won't matter if go, if the price of oil goes to $20. There's just not much in the way of, of stores of wealth out there. So the supply and demand, that's when I see supply and demand really being a, a key fundamental in pushing the prices up. So to answer your question, when the oil production starts to fall, and I see that happening starting next year, in 2019, especially in the United States, we're going to start to see these asset prices fall and people getting into gold and silver. And it won't matter the difference in the, in the, in the cost of production. What will matter is people trying to protect their wealth. Yeah, so that's a bit of a, a spin, a variation on kind of the traditional thing that so many people, including myself, have said that you know, when, when stocks drop, when, when real estate or other assets drop, uh, they're going to look for a safe haven. And, and one of the natural options would be precious metals. And of course, silver in particular uh, has has such, it's such a small market compared to to these other massive trillion, multi-trillion dollar markets that we're talking about here. Um, you know, another thing that uh, kind of to sum up what you're saying here, you know, you are are one of the few people in this community that don't take supply and demand as as the gospel truth be all and all for, for price setting mechanisms. Um, but basically what you're saying here, and correct me if I'm wrong, that right now the, the, the floor, the, the cost of production is what's key. But when you have a huge influx of demand, supply and demand, it's going to look more similar to, to the classic supply and demand in the future. Yeah, and I've got this chart. If you go to my website and there's an article, analysts totally wrong about gold. Top gold miners production cost still provides the floor in the market price. If you look at the chart towards the bottom, it's got the gold corp and barrack and it's from 2000 to 2016. You'll notice in 2011-12, the market price was substantially higher than the production cost by a couple of hundred actually by like $400. So we saw in those two years that the miners were making serious profits. Uh, most of the other time they're making some profit, but those two years when we had a lot of uh, demand, retail demand, physical demand, there was uh, it pushed the price up. So we had a huge gap between the cost of production as and the market price in 2015 it fell to a low there was there wasn't much of a difference there in 2015 maybe about fifty dollars what this time around i see it going up much much higher because you have to remember when oil production falls it's going to be difficult to produce gold gold consumes a lot of energy so gold production is going to fall so I think there's going to be like a double-edged sword taking place at the same time. So that's how I see it. I do see a big disconnect that the metals will take off irregardless of what it costs to produce them. And it's going to be harder and harder to produce uh, metals in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I will link that uh, that article down below in the description for my viewers to uh, check out. And, and certainly I'll be linking your YouTube channel as well down below if they want to subscribe to that. Um, but, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about oil here. And, you know, if I'm going to be totally honest, and, and I think this will shock a lot of my viewers, um, one of the main reasons that I wanted to talk to you today and have you on my show was not because of precious metals. They're, they're important. They're interesting. They're interested in my viewers and to me. And, and obviously, this low price regime, it's, it's, there's a lot to talk about. But oil, 
has has really um, I've been I think been shocking a lot of people over the last uh, month or two. We've seen uh, it drop, you know, what, 15, 20 dollars a barrel, depending on what, uh, you know, what index or what um, benchmark you're looking at. Uh, so I was wondering if you could speak to that. You know, what type of damage uh, is that doing to the shale oil sector? Or maybe a better place to start would be to give my viewers kind of an, a quick overview of of why you're so bearish on on the U.S. energy sector as a whole. Let me start by saying the reason why I'm a big believer in the precious metals has to do with the energy. You can't be a, a, a precious metal investor believer unless you understand the energy. Now, a lot of people don't and they still talk about precious metals, but they leave out the most important fundamental factor that drives the entire economy. Without energy, you, we don't do anything. Lights don't go on in your house. You can't get you can't go to work or school. You can't buy anything because the energy isn't there to produce the stuff or transport the stuff. So you have to have the energy. Energy is the key that drives everything. Now, I'm looking at a chart of oil and we're in big trouble. It's a monthly chart of oil. Oil hit a, a top of like 77, a peak of 77, right at the beginning of October. And someone sent me this chart and I believe it's true. In October, China stopped importing. They were importing about a million barrels a day of oil from the United States. Now, I don't know if this has something to do with the trade, but this chart definitely shows it that in October, the, their, their imports fell to zero. Now, I believe most of that was, was the light sweet, was the, was the heavy, or I'm sorry, was the shale tight oil, which we can't use all of it. And so we have to export it. It's not we, our refiners can't use all this light tight oil. We're not we're not uh, it's not designed for it. So we export it. Well, since then, oil price has really fallen. Now, I'm looking at this monthly chart, Matt, and the the uh, 50 day moving average is 53.48. Now, it's fallen. Now it, it it's at fifty dollars and twenty nine cents. It's there's two more days in the month of November. If the oil price does not correct and move above 53.48, 53.50, let's just say, in the next two days, if it continues to fall and it, it ends you know, at 50 or less, that means the oil price will continue even lower. And that 53.48 will now be, will be resistance. So this, I think we could see $30 oil and they, that's going to be very damaging for the shale oil industry, which needs at least 60 to stay afloat. So, and then let me tell you the tar sands, the Western Canadian select oil price that they're getting for the tar sands, it's traded at $11 a barrel today. So this is all extremely bad news. And I think the volatility in the oil price is is, is beginning to, to destroy the unconventional tar and um, shale oil industry. Yeah. And to add to that, that uh, uh, what West Canadian select oil, correct? Is that the name of it? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, what, what, $11, 12, you know, in the teens, um, it has dropped, uh, a significantly larger margin compared to WTI or Brent, um, far, far larger uh, of a drop. Uh, now one of the interesting things, including, you know, our president, he, he came out with a tweet the other day talking about how he's, he's glad oil prices have dropped and, and kind of the knee jerk reaction, I think by the media is, Hey, oil's cheaper. 
gas is cheaper. Consumer goods, in theory, should be cheaper because now it takes less money to to produce certain things or to to bring you know the tomatoes to the supermarket or whatever. Um, could you kind of put this in perspective? How important or how bad a, a crash in the shale oil sector uh, here in the United States and Canada would be for the economy because of just how large of a role they have been playing over the last decade or so. Let me begin explaining that by saying the massive monetary stimulus that the, the Fed and central banks took part of starting in 2008 when we had the financial crisis couldn't have worked unless we brought on more oil production. You can't do the printing unless you got the energy. Energy is the driver. The paper doesn't really do much. It just inflates stuff, but you have to have more energy. Now, over the la- since in the last 10 years, since 2008, 80%, I think it's 82% of the increase of global oil production came from the United States and Canada. And it's con- unconventional crappy oil. Either you have the heavy tar sands or you have the very light, uh, uh, light tight oil. Now, in 2013, when the oil industry didn't get $120, $130 a barrel, they started already cutting capital expenditures. Already, even before the price fell, they were cutting at the end of 2013 when the price was still $105, $110, $110. Uh, and so these are the majors. We need 110, 120, 130 to really bring on new good oil for the next decade. We don't have that. We've, we, we've been doing shale. Now, we've, been, we've brought on 10 billion barrels of shale oil in the past decade. That's how much the U.S. shale or oil industry has produced, 10 billion barrels. Well, it's also, it's also created 300 billion in debt to do that. So according to one conventional uh, uh, oil man in, in Texas, he, his estimate is the oil, the shale oil industry needs to produce 9 billion barrels of additional shale oil just to pay back the debt. That's it. So when you start looking at that, when you start looking how in bad shape these shale companies are, and let me give, just give you one more example because this is, this is very important. Pioneer Resources is the largest shale producer in the Permian. And the Permian is the big kid on the block now. It's the it's the largest shale producer field in the United States, in Texas. And what's interesting, in the second half of 2017, Pioneer spent like 1.4 billion and they added 30,000 barrels a day of production, which is good. Now the first half of this year, they spent even more money. They spent 1.7 billion dollars to produce the shale they only added almost 11,000 barrels. So what happened? We're, we're starting to see that the shale is already starting to peak. So I do believe, and this is what this was when prices were even higher. So I, I, I in conclusion, the, this low price, especially if it continues to go lower, is it's like a tsunami. When the tsunami comes in and the price goes up, but when that tsunami goes out and the price goes down, you see the the damage that's left behind. And we're, I, I think it's gonna we're gonna start to see the disintegration of the U.S. shale oil industry, starting in 2019, especially if oil prices remain low. Well, you know, as you said, I mean, one of their only ways out, you know, in theory, would be a a higher price and b 
um, a higher production. And those things have to go hand in hand. And so even if they try as hard as they can with, with taking on more debt, spending more in, in uh, capital expenditures and whatnot, in uh, trying to raise up their production, uh, they very well might be producing more oil creating a larger and larger loss, right? If you're, if you're losing a, a dollar a barrel or whatever it is, well, if you produce an extra 1,000 or 10,000 or 10,000 10, 10, barrels a, a day, then you're losing an extra 1,000 or 10,000 dollars a day. You know, you, you get what I'm saying here. Um, would, would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, and this is what's funny. When the price of oil fell from 100, 110 in 2014 to, to like 30 in, in 2016, well, do you know what that did? It totally destroyed the uh, the service industry in the shale in the shale industry. It destroyed them. They were doing really well when prices were high, and then it, so that the, the, those that were they were leasing out the wells, the the, the, real, the rigs, they were they had to drop prices just to kind of like stay alive. And so what that did that that falling oil price it did lower the shale cost of production. But guess what? The oil price went from 30 and it went up to 70, 75 this last quarter. Well, when oil prices start going back up, the cost of production goes back up. And especially for the shale oil industry, it's even worse for the shale oil industry than it is for gold and silver when the prices go up. And so I believe now that in the Permian, like Pioneer, they're spending like $10 million a well to produce these 70 stage frack wells. I mean, they, they're pumping in 24 million pounds of sand now to get this oil. It, it's, it's, it's really insane. So yes, I think now that the, the price has fallen, it's really going to start. And I, I know people in the industry, they're already talking about layoffs. And we have to remember, Matt, that when oil prices go up in the summer during the driving season, summer driving season, when do they go down? They go down in the winter. So this is the worst time for this oil price decline. It's happening right when the market is already, it naturally falls because of less demand. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting next year. I think we're, I, I think it, it's, I think Americans are going to be shocked how quickly shale oil production collapses. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting that you brought into the conversation uh, technology and the, the complexity of uh, of shale oil these days. You know, I, I love people comment from time to time about how advanced it is and how they're getting to oil that they couldn't get to before. And, and that's that's probably true. Um, but, you know, to, to, to kind of simplify the argument of, of maybe energy uh, uh, return on investment, your, your whole thesis for, for your work, uh, you know, back in back in the day, a hundred years ago, again simplified. You know, there were people that would go out in an oil field in, in Texas, and and it's like you you, you stick a, a pipe in the ground, ground and, and oil comes shooting out. And your problem isn't getting to the oil; your problem is is capping that that well, or or where are you going to store all of this oil? And yet today, it's it's a massive process. They have to pay for all of these uh, chemicals, uh, water, sand, etc., to to pump into. Uh, the ground just to to um, get this oil out in the first place. Uh, that's that's advanced technology. That's getting to oil that they couldn't get to before. That doesn't mean that it's going to be cheap oil by any means. Yeah, and you you said it right. Back in 1930s, there were some wells that were were energy return on investment were thousands to one. That means if they put uh, the energy equivalent of one barrel into the work, they were getting thousands of barrel of oil in return. I mean, just unheard of. 
And so the average back then was about 101. That was the U.S. oil industry. It was about 100 to 1. And then by the 70s, it fell to 30 to 1. And now the estimates when they first came out for shale was 5 to 1. I think it's much less than that. It's got to be much less than that. And what people don't get is if they're, if they're producing this oil, but there's a debt, that debt, that 30, 300 billion in debt, that represents spent energy somewhere. Either they purchased pipe, they purchased the, the sand, the fracking sand, they paid somebody for their labor. That extra 300 billion in debt was energy that was spent. So in all actuality, shale is, it's not really adding good quality energy that we need to run our modern society. And so, I think we're 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 the, we're steal we're, we're stealing energy just to produce this energy. We're stealing natural gas. We're stealing funds from investors. We're stealing money from pension plans, which is you know kind of stored up energy. We're stealing energy everywhere to produce this unconventional crappy oil, and it, it, it's kind of working for a while. But when when oil production starts to fall, it's not going to be slow. And this is what people don't get. If you look at a chart of Amazon, it's like it, it's almost exponential. It, it went from like uh, twenty dollars, and, and then now it, it hit two thousand dollars a share. Now that chart, when it starts to come down, it's not going to look like the other side. It's not going to be a triangle. It, that, that Amazon stock price is going to kind of almost come straight down. Uh, and, and so I see U.S. oil production doing the same thing. We're, we're, they say we're producing in the EIA 11.7 million barrels of oil a day. But when it starts to fall, I think we'll be down 50 to 75 percent by 2025. That's how quickly it's going to fall. And it could even be quicker. So how do you run Texas? How do you run Dallas, New York, L.A.? On 50% of the energy. Well, you, you'd you have to import it or, or you have a reduced, um, I guess, standard of living, reduced amount of, of, I guess, stuff you can get done in the day, you know. Um, could, could you put this in perspective also just for, for what this means for the the energy sector? And as you said, you know, um, it's not only the, the companies and, and their risk of, of going belly up or the workers that are working in these oil fields, but also the service industries, whether it's uh, real estate, in, in Western Texas or, or restaurants or whatever it is. Um, let's say, uh, just, just let's say we continue in this kind of trend that we're in. Let's say oil drops to $40 a barrel in the next month or two. Um, they continue to pump out oil at, at a crazy pace. Inventories continue to build. Things are looking pretty bleak in the energy sector. Um, and then this just kind of continues for a while. They don't get saved by, by $100 oil. They don't get saved by a, a massive war in the Middle East or something like that. Um, what does that mean for this sector? I mean, is, are, are we talking bankruptcies? Are we talking something that could spark the next financial crisis? How do you see this playing out? Well, I think the... There's a few shale companies making money, a few. Most of them are not, and they have not, and they've racked up. Either the two things, what you do if you're a shale company, you see, I, I talk to conventional guys and conventional oilmen. They're still out there producing old-style conventional oil. It's a vertical well. 
There's not many wells to find out there, but you can still find some oil. And they hire a bunch of people. They pay everybody on time. Nobody goes into debt. And the energy return on investment is still 30 to 50 to 1. And the, and the return on investment is like 30 to 50 to 1. So they're making money. Um, now, the issue is that private people don't have to go into debt to produce crappy oil because they're still producing good quality oil, which little left there is. The public companies had to go into debt to produce this oil. And so this is the issue that we, they've racked up all this debt. They either, they either did it by, by, by increasing their debt or they diluted their shares and they stuck it to the shareholder. Now, Pioneer is a perfect example of doing that. I think they've, they've added almost $5 billion in new shares over the last six, eight years. So they, they stuck it to the shareholder because they have a high stock price. Now, Continental Resources, who's the big daddy up in, in the Bakken in North Dakota, they didn't have a big oil price, a high share price. So they had to resort to increasing debt. And they've got about five and a half billion in debt. So when you add up the whole industry, they're paying a lot of money just to service this debt. Thank God interest rates are still pretty low. And then they have all this debt on their balance sheets. And so the problem is people think if the price of oil goes high, they can pay back this debt. They're never going to pay the debt back because they, they couldn't do at a hundred dollar barrel oil for the last three years in 2011, 12 and 13. And so I think Matt, when the prices stay low, we're going to start seeing bankruptcies. We're going to start seeing companies go under. Now, the government could bail them out, but that won't change the overriding aspect that shale is not, isn't profitable. It's just not profitable. Which obviously leaves us in an interesting position going forward, because as you said at the beginning of the stock, oil is is kind of key, right? For all this talk, you, 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 I know you talked in your um, one of your recent articles about solar, being a major player in the future, or maybe not so much, or, or other, uh, you know, uh, source of energy, wind, uh, nuclear, etc. Um, they're just not there. I mean, they, for, for all the investment uh, subsidies, enthusiasm, um, oil is still king. And, and with something like uh, shale oil taken offline, uh, I can absolutely see where you're going with this, that this is, uh, leaves a bleak future for the, for the economy. Yeah. I'm going to be putting out a video on the on the supposedly like a green energy, solar and wind. And I've had this email exchange. I've been reading this fascinating uh, blog. It's a, it's in Ireland. It's about energy. And they in Europe, they've got a lot of windmills. And there's some in Ireland and not UK and, and Germany. And they, but what's fascinating, these these wind turbines, they're not lasting. They're supposed to last 20, 25 years. And that's what the these companies are set up the the cash flow statement the uh, uh, what what it's going to pay off over twenty twenty five sure. years Th these things are falling up they're starting to fall apart within ten years ten fifteen years and so they have to be the whole turbine has to be redone and some of these turbines wind turbines have two thousand pounds of rare earth minerals so it's just not economic. And I think there's two wind farms in this in Ireland that are losing money. 
I think China, uh, a China company was going to buy it. They decided not to. So I think the big, the big wild card out there that no one's paying attention to, that this renewable stuff is going to really start to fall apart. It's not going to last as long as we thought it was. It's way too expensive. It really has a very low energy return on investment, and it's not going to solve the problem. But it's just going to, it's going to become an even bigger problem. So I think we're going to see that going forward. Well, Steve, I got to say, I'm looking forward to that video, and uh, I, I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing your expertise. You know, I would absolutely love to make a video on the impact of these low, lower oil prices and whatnot, but but I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to my viewers um, by, by not just having you on and, and kind of giving it uh, – given the information to them from a uh, from an expert somebody that's put years and years of research into this field so thank you for coming on today and i'm glad to be here i just wanted to leave your 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 listeners or your your readers and followers that it's important to pay attention to the energy because the energy is the number one factor that's going to determine what is going to happen to assets in the future and debt now, debt props up assets. So if debt starts to implode, so does the value of assets. But as we mentioned, gold and silver are not backed by debt. Everything else is. And if so, if you're in gold and silver, even though it's kind of it hasn't gone anywhere, really, that's that's OK. It, it, it's OK because everything else has gone completely insane. So. Uh, I look forward to checking back with you in a couple of months. Maybe we can see how things turn out beginning of uh, the new year if, if they got even more crazy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, two, three months, I'm sure we're, we're going to see developments in all of these uh, topics, stocks, oil price, um, the, the energy sector, precious metals. So, so I look forward to that as well. Well. Uh, well, do you thank, have anything else you want to leave my viewers with? No, I, I just they can check the website. I try to put out about two or three articles a week, and uh, I do appreciate the time. All right. Thank you once again, Steve, for coming on. Thank you. Have a good evening.